Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. God was right. He told me his plans, and I was in awe. I couldn't wait to tell the people they had nothing to worry about. God's in control. I just have to help them see it. All right, I want to welcome you to part three of Habakkuk. And if you have ever had a difficult situation, maybe a crisis or a tough issue you're facing in your life, and you knew God could do something about it, but he didn't, you've come to the right place. Maybe you are wrestling, and maybe it's confused you or challenged your faith, then you very well identify with the message of Habakkuk, this old-school, Old Testament prophet who wrote the book we're studying actually around 600 B.C. And although this is an ancient Hebrew text, we're finding it has tremendous relevance for our modern-day lives. In fact, Habakkuk really struggled with the injustice and the unfairness that he saw in the world around him. His nation Israel was full of kind of corruption and violence at the time. And when he said, God, I don't know why you're allowing bad stuff to happen, God's response was, actually, it's going to get worse. Uh, The Babylonians, infinitely more wicked, we're going to actually rise in and they're going to totally wipe out Israel. And Habakkuk was like, that's horrible. That's even more unfair. God, if you cared, why would you let that happen? Ever feel that way? Maybe you work long hours, you do your best, you're a faithful employee, and then your unethical co-worker is the one who gets the promotion and you get a pink slip. Or your boyfriend cheats on you, leaves you devastated and alone, and he's the one who gets married six months later. Or you do your best to raise your kids, you know, according to God's truth, they go off the deep end. Or or what about that diagnosis that came out of nowhere? What was was that about? All those years of living right, and now disease or, or disability. It's not fair. When bad stuff seems to happen for no reason or worse seems to happen to seemingly good people, we struggle with our faith. Like Habakkuk, we have tough questions for God. Habakkuk's one of the 12 minor prophets, and he is actually unique from all the others. All the prophets in the Old Testament are known for actually bringing God's word to the people. They heard from God, and they said, this is what God says. And yet Habakkuk did just the opposite. He brought people's questions to God. God. He is unique in that way, and it's really a unique book. He opened his book with four very tough questions, got up in God's grill. He said this, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Question mark. Or cry out violence, but you do not save? Question mark. Why do you make me look at injustice? Question mark. Why do you tolerate wrong? Question mark. Four hard questions to begin this book right up in God's grill. It's really interesting. Because Habakkuk is basically looking at the front page news of his day, these random, painful situations that people in his life were experiencing. It made him shake his head. He's like, God, if you're supposed to be good, why do you allow stuff like this to happen? Let me show you a little, uh, a little uh, chart that we've been kind of working with. I've given credit to Seth Godin. He uses this in a business context. But we said this actually represents a little bit more what our lives, our journey of faith look like. And it's called the dip. The idea here is that a lot of people really begin their faith journey at this level. This is before they've ever tasted or know anything about the love and grace of God. It's actually just kind of something that's like religion or whatever. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts moving in their life. Maybe a crisis happens. They start talking with a friend who's always talking about this Jesus stuff. And then they go to church and check it out for themselves. And they're like, 
wait a minute, he's talking about my life. Did he know? Did you tell him? Uh, and then all of a sudden, they, they come to this moment in their faith where they actually believe. They actually say, you know what? I think there's something to this Jesus stuff. I think he actually is God. I'm not God, but I think I know who it is. And all of a sudden, boom, their faith lights up. It all goes technicolor. They start drinking what I call the what? Oh, look at you. You drank the Kool-Aid. And all you first-time guests are like, what kind of church is this? This is really weird. Uh, yeah, a lot of times this is where people actually say, I liked you better when you were here. Because now you're telling me about this Jesus stuff. And you're always quoting the Bible and you listen to different songs that kind of stink. And, and, you know, I like this better here. But what happens is then we actually have a little bit of a problem because at some point, actually, those songs don't mean as much anymore or actually the stuff you read in the Bible, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. It's about old stuff. And, and I've actually been praying now. And God not only is not answering my questions, he actually seems to be doing the opposite because someone I love got sick and they're not getting better. Or I lost my job after telling people about Jesus and now I'm facing a crisis of belief. That's what Henry Blackaby calls it. It's this moment where what we see in the world around us no longer corresponds to what we thought we knew about God, and now we question what we believe at all. And we really are faced with doing one of two things. We either want to go back to the mountaintop, or we want to give up our faith entirely. God, what I see no longer corresponds to who I thought you were, so now forget you. I don't know if I believe anything at all. That's actually where people lose their faith, and this is where Habakkuk is. This is actually chapter 1. And it's where we wrestle with God. We go into this thing that we've been calling the dip, where actually God makes us what we learned last week, chapter 2, what? Wait. And we hate to wait. Who hates to wait? You are there. You're like, yeah, I didn't like last week's message. The interesting thing here is when we go into a season of waiting, it's one of the hardest things we do because we don't get what's happening. Our questions mainly have to do with God's timing, and we want nothing more at this moment than to get out of what we've been calling this thing called what? The dip. The dip of doubt. We don't like our time in it when God doesn't seem to be returning our phone calls when actually everything seems to be going counter to the way we think it should go. And this season of actually kind of a spiritual, you know, a pothole in the road, as it were, is an amazing moment because we think it's actually the worst thing that could possibly happen. But what we're learning is that when we step back and look at it, from God's perspective, it's the very thing that he can use to slingshot us to an entirely new level of faith that we never would have went through had we actually just kept going up and to the right. Because God desires our maturity, our holiness, not just our happiness. And if we just stay sipping our sippy cup of Jesus juice, we don't develop. We fail to mature. God is actually interested in taking us, not to, for chapter 1 to chapter 2, but to a chapter 3 kind of worship, where we actually worship him for who he is, his character, not just what he does, what he gives us. That's where we start. A lot of you relate to this. I know because after each service last week, I had someone come up here and say, can I have that chart? Can I rip that off? Is that cool? Can I have that? Are you going to do it again? And I said, yeah, okay, that's fine. They're like, just, just give it to me. And they ripped it off. And they said, because that's my life. This is literally my life. And, and it is real life, isn't it? I mean, it's compelling the idea that faith is not this like linear static journey that just goes straight into the right, but it actually is more like what? A roller coaster. Yeah with highs and lows, points and dips, peaks and valleys, dark seasons are part of the journey. They did not tell you this in Sunday school, did they? We used to sing, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. 
And all of a sudden, real life smashes up against our faith and we have this moment. And yet, this is what the Bible says you need to expect in life. Remember this? James 1 narrates the journey this way. Do you guys remember this? We've talked about it enough now. Consider it what? Pure joy, my brothers. Yes! Whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be what? Mature and complete not lacking anything. Again, God's end design for us is sometimes very different than what our agenda includes, mature and complete. Turns out, if we hang in there, God promises to do something supernatural with us in the dip. Not just make us happy, but make us holy. That is mature, complete, not lacking anything. And we may act surprised, but the reality is, is this is the journey of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but we expect we're not going to actually walk in his footsteps, which went like this. Jesus became very, very popular, and he grew in his fame and in his teaching, and the crowds came in, and all of a sudden he got arrested. And this doesn't look like it's going the way I was hope. <laughs> the disciples were like, that's not what we were planning. We were thinking you were going to overthrow Caesar, and kind of, and now you're on a cross. What's going on here? This is horrible. This is terrible. This is awful. And we realize at the center of actually our faith is a what? A cross. And a cross is at the center of our faith for a very specific reason. Because in God's story, a cross always precedes a crown. Always. And Jesus had tough questions for God when he was in the dip, didn't he? On the cross, he actually had a question for God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he said, yet, not my will, but what? Your will be done. And if I have to drink this cup, the cup of God's wrath... To save the world, I will do it. And it's really a compelling thing to think, actually, Jesus suffered the ultimate injustice. Our sins on the only sinless man to ever walk the face of the earth, the ultimate worst of the worst, and yet he lived through it. And the God who raised the dead promises to do the same in our life for anybody who trusts his son. That's the journey, folks. And here's the exciting part. We're learning the dip is normative. It is to be expected, so you're not weird, Okay? Your questions, your struggles are not, they're more than normal. In fact, they are evidence that God is actually doing a deep work inside of your very soul. Even if it seems like you're stalled or actually your faith is tanking, he's shaping your character to be more and more like his son, Jesus. That's why scripture says, so fix your eyes on Jesus. He is the author of this story. He's writing your story. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the one who will make it mature and complete. Consider him so that what? You won't grow weary and lose heart. This is our life together. Who's in? Okay, good. That's good. I was, I'd be worried. Everyone's like, yes. You're like, let me think about this. That's how people responded to Jesus. They're like, pick up our cross daily and follow him. Let's see. Here's the deal. Chapter 3 that we're going to dive into in Habakkuk, and I want to invite you to take your Bible. It's on page 653. Is actually the one that gives us a lift here out of the dip, and it's really interesting. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to kind of bust right through this. But Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1, it actually says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. And it starts with this weird Hebrew word. This is why most people read it and they're like, okay, whatever, I'm going to the Gospel of John. Um, Whenever you get to something like that, just look at the little footnotes. It says, what, you know, what is that? And it says it's actually a musical term. This is probably 
ends with a song or a prayer set to music. So that, that's what Habakkuk's writing here, kind of a song. Now, Shigianith, uh, you may actually uh, re- recognize the term. About 2,000 years later, uh, Will Smith did a mashup of that called Getting Shiggy With It. You remember this? Okay, all right, moving on. Verse 2, Lord, I've heard of your fame. Wow, okay. <laughs> Crickets. All right. Lord, I heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, what's the word? Remember mercy. In other words, what Habakkuk here is saying, he's saying, God, I remember that moment when you seemed so close. I saw your power. I remember this moment, but I'm not here right now. That's not happening in my life. You're not actually doing it anymore. I'm kind of in this dip kind of waiting, but I remember... If I'm honest with you, I can tell you there have been seasons in my life when God's presence seemed more real at, more, at other times th- th- than others. I mean, it was like God was doing this and that and this and that, and all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, God, I know you can, I remember you could, but right now you're not. Would you please renew in, in our day what you used to do? Because I know you can, you can. Basically, Habakkuk's saying, God, do it again. Do it again. The word renew here is actually translated the word Kuyah! Can we all say that together? Kuyah! Kind of, oh, thank you. Sounds a little like Taekwondo. Uh, it means to revive or breathe new life into. And he's like, God, I remember when you could do this in my life, so do it again, God. Do it again. Take me there. What do you do when you're in the dip waiting? There are two things Habakkuk teaches us that are about going to the next level here in chapter 3, and this is what you've been waiting for. Some of you have been like, I want to get out of the dip. Tell me how I'm going to get out of the dip. The first one is, if you're taking notes, is really this. We need to remember God's past provision. In the Bible, um, the ability to remember what God had done previously was considered a sacred act. It was like the sacred act of remembering. Uh, whenever Israel actually went through something unpleasant, they would often immediately like, like forget what God just did for them. Uh, for instance, in Exodus, we read how God miraculously delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. They're slaves to Pharaoh, and God literally like, reaches in. He wins their release. He leads them into the desert, leads them to freedom, and almost immediately they start, they start like, grumbling, like, it's hot in here. There's no water. <laughs> There's nothing to eat. And God instantly like, provides another miracle. All of a sudden, there's manna. There's bread from heaven. But like, after a week, they're like, no, no more frosted flakes. You know? And they literally say, it's amazing. It actually says, if only we had what? Meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Why did we even ever leave Egypt? And you're like, wait, let me get this straight. God turned the Nile to blood. He parted the Red Sea. He went to war against Pharaoh from you. And you're like, I think we were better off. In chapter 2, it's like, are you kidding me? Did you already forget everything God just did? And it's like, yeah, pretty much. One commentator said you can actually sum up the entire Old Testament, Israel's in the entire Old Testament, this way, spiritual amnesia. They failed to remember. And when the heat was turned up, they would have a memory lapse and immediately forget whatever God previously just provided for them, and they'd lose faith. They'd lose heart. They would go into the dip and just tank out. Now, be honest about this. Think about it in your own life. At what age or what stage do you, start for, do you forget stuff like real quickly, right? Age 60 or age 6, right? Pretty much 60-year-olds kind of say, well, I'm having a senior moment. Uh, in my life with a 6-year-old, it's mainly kids. You know, it's kind of like, you know, my, my 6-year-old. We go to the pool uh, on the weekends. This is, a, this is a good example of this. As a father, I hate the good humor man. I'm sorry, I just need to acknowledge this. He stations himself like a SWAT team outside of our community pool. I hate that. 
And he's just waiting there to pick off the kids. And we walk out. Here we go. Good humor, man. They're going to hit me up. The kids are like, I want a SpongeBob. Pop, want a SpongeBob. All right, we're going to, not today. All right, they, they wheedle me enough. I'm like, all right, we'll just get one. So we get, you know, everyone's happy. We go home. We go the very next day. Spend a glorious day at the pool. Come out with the kids. And there he is, the good humor man. It's funny to you, good humor man. And we walk out with the kids, and the kids are like, I want, I was like, oh, we just got you one yesterday. And they just like, we want to know, we want to know. You never get us an ice cream. And I look at these two little gremlins, you know. You never, they instantly forget. And that's okay when you're six years old because you're immature, you're incomplete, right? But this is what happens. This is literally what happens. To remember your father's previous provision is a critical part of the journey. That's why throughout the Old Testament, you will see God always commanding his people to set up memorial stones, these, these altars, these monuments. He's like, I want you to mark the time and the place when I did something and came through on your behalf. For example, um, on their way to the promised land, uh, they come up actually to the River Jordan, which is that flood stage. It's like overflowing its banks. But God's, God's like, okay, I will help you cross this. But you have first have to take a step into the water, which says something about faith. The water is only part when you take a step first. They step into it, and instantly the waters recede. But before they take one more step, God says, stop. I want you to set 12 stones up in the middle of the riverbed. And it's like, why? That's kind of strange. Joshua 4 says this. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder to what? Serve as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. In other words, God says, I know you. <laughs> I know you. You are forgetful people. And if you don't mark the time and the date, you're going to forget this moment the minute the heat gets turned up later. So put these stones to remember what I did to get you here in the journey. God knows that you and I need specific things in life's journey to help us mark kind of the key plot twists where God provided for our essential needs. Now, I don't know what jogs your memory. For me, it's actually not stones. Um, you know, some people get like tattoos, like to kind of mark a memory. Uh, for me, it's music, okay? Certain songs like stir up certain memories for me. Like whenever I hear the song Footloose, you guys remember that? Good times, gonna get Footloose. Not gonna even do it for you. No, not going there. I instantly remember wearing my black parachute pants and going to junior high canteen. I remember, I can like instantly call that to memory. When I hear the song, Welcome to the Jungle, yeah, exactly, senior year of high school. We actually would play that at hockey games then in college, and I hear like, you know, the opening chorus, well, you know where you are. It makes me want to break stuff. And um, <laughs> songs kick that in for me. I, the, the, honestly, like the, the kind of weird one, this is kind of strange. You, got, you guys remember Belle Biv DeVoe? Remember Poison? Poison! That kind of thing, okay? Uh, ironically, that's the song that was playing when I took Colleen on our first date. So I hear that song, you know, never trust a big butt to smile. Kind of thing. I remember that. I break out into a cold sweat when I hear it. It's, it jogs my memory. It's like the soundtrack to the high points in my life. And, and, and I do have a point to this. When we're going through something unpleasant, a season that actually stretches our faith or tests our resolve, God calls us to remember and recall his previous provision. Personally, the best way for me to do this is actually to keep a journal. I actually, I do this as a discipline and I don't do it. It's kind of funny. You can actually look. This is my journal and you can see it's actually full of writing. This one happens to be full, but it's not always. What's weird is you'll look at this thing and it actually says like certain dates on it and then all of a sudden it'll be like, 
three months later, you know, on Halloween, this happened. But most of the time, I try to get back to it just to record like a turning point in my life when I know God showed up. And I was looking back this summer over all God's done, but actually not just my life, the life of our church. And it's kind of funny because when I look at this, the life story of Habakkuk and the life story of, quite honestly, me, mirrors, the, mirrors this chart as well in many ways. As a church together, let me use a green marker. Should we break out green? By the way, this is great. After like six services, I'm like, whoo, Jesus use. When we started out here, we launched this church, for those of you who are new, we launched this church two and a half years ago, and we did it just like completely on faith, call it naivete or heart. We had like 300 people, and we're like, we have enough money to do this for almost you know, four months, I think. And, and, and we just did this thing, and it was kind of cool, because what happened is a lot of you stepped up to the table and said, I will help lead, I will help you know, work with the kids, I will help... And we just kind of experienced this rocket ride where all of a sudden we had like 1,200 people after like a year. It was just like, what just happened? God showed up. And all of a sudden we had tremendous mountaintop moments. We really have. I mean, it was amazing. We didn't have a home or any of that kind of stuff. And it was a challenge, but mainly our church has been on this kind of rocket ship ride. And together we've had these moments where it's like, man, I couldn't be prouder. Like bringing clean water to Africa. Like who would have thought that? Like after two years, that's amazing. People tuning in via the internet to church online. That's incredible and everything. But this past January, so we've experienced this kind of up and to the right kind of growth. This past January, though, we had a little thing called, what was that called? The, uh, was it a recession? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, wait a minute, like kind of, you know, giving tailed off. And then actually uh, kind of people tailed off. And then, and then actually we expanded at the same time to two campuses. We spread out to New Brunswick, right? So Pastor Mike and his team went down there. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, we got to do twice as much ministry with half as many resources, that's what you'd call a crisis. That's a little bit, actually, of a crisis. Now, we don't like to like, sound the alarm here or something, but that was a serious like, dip, okay? That was a big deal for us. And by the way, you guys have been incredible, extraordinary. Many of you have given like, faithfully in the midst of this dip, and we're, we're in a stable spot. You have been patient as we've like, tried to find the right balance between like, video and live teaching. Hopefully, we're trying to get those in balance. That's great. But the truth is this. If, if you want the truth we're really still in a little bit of a dip. This is probably where we are. I can't say we are completely fully out yet. In fact, I would actually like to say we ain't there yet. Especially when you look at specific ministries. Can you, can you see that? Especially when you look at specific ministries, like, for instance, Liquid Kids. Uh, I'll just talk real candidly here, okay? It, as a father, there is nothing that I want more than like a first-class program for our like toddlers and our teens from the cradle to college. But you know what the reality is? For all the good, we ain't there yet. It was interesting. My kids actually had a chance to go to vacation Bible school over this past summer. It was the coolest thing. Not at our church. We don't have that yet. But it was kind of cool because they would came home and actually my little girl was, she's like, you want to hear the song I learned? I was like, what's the song? She's like, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. And she kind of had this cool thing and the like hand motions and everything. I'm like, that's remarkable. She goes, you want to hear another? I was like, yeah. She goes, oh, you are good, oh, God. And she's like doing this whole thing. I'm like, that's incredible. I'm like, I don't know who did this, but I want to drink that Jesus juice. That's awesome. She like, had, it, was, it was like, I want that so deeply for my kids, like a living, breathing interaction with God's word. We do our best on Sundays, okay, to engage our children with God's truth, but we ain't there yet. In fact, our rocket ride growth with adults has not kept up with kids, and that's a huge need for us. So this spring, we started praying. Pastor Bill started praying, actually. We were like, 
we can imagine this moment where we take kids' ministry to a whole nother level and it's just impacting families. So we started praying, you know what? God provided, not all at once, but he literally just provided Hosel Siegel. You'll be meeting her in a few weeks. She's our new Liquid Kids director. She's from Willow Creek, Chicago. She's actually moving her whole family here uh, to, to New Jersey. Incredible. She's got some very exciting things planned for the fall. But she mainly ministers at the New Brunswick campus. We're still waiting for our Liquid Kids director here in Morristown. And as I said, I hate to wait. And as we've gone through like, hundreds of resumes, we're like, we're not settling for second best, but waiting's hard. And honestly, I get discouraged. Because when we're down here, I'm like, I can see how powerful a thriving children's mystery at the next level is. We're like anchoring the word of God in their heart from nursery on. And it will happen. I, I promise you that as like a dad, not just a pastor. It'll happen. But we ain't there yet. So this summer, I start praying about this every week. And as I'm praying about it, I'm like, God, they're not here yet. God, they're not whatever. I start flipping through my journal from a couple years ago. And I remember reading in my journal, oh, this is amazing. It says, God, what are you going to do with all these people who are coming to church online? It's like, we've got to figure out something. And you need to bring somebody from like overseas who understands this all in another language. And if they could have broadcast and TV experience, that'd be awesome. And all of a sudden, this tool named Aussie Dave gives me an email. I'm like, that's amazing. I literally I look at it six months later, and they're like, they're moving here from Melbourne, Australia. It's unbelievable. I'm like, I remember how we actually needed an, an A-caliber leader with a heart for teens. Now we have some of our kids growing up. And, everything. and all of a sudden, God parachutes Pastor Bill in here. And I'm like, oh, my God, he answered that. I, I mean, oh, my God, in a, in a real sense, like, oh, my God, I'm reading what you did for us. I remember how I, how I was like, I'm at the end of my rope with all this teaching. I need like a partner, someone to partner with. And all of a sudden, Kang shows up. Now, I'm still not sure on that one. I'm like, I'm, you know. <laughs> but as I, just kidding. As I flip through the pages of my journal, I found my heart stirring. It was filling up with hope. And literally, my prayer became, I was like, do it again, Lord. Do it again. My heart started refilling with hope. That's what Habakkuk's doing here. He's like, I stand in awe of your deeds. Would you renew them? In our day, in our time, make them known. He's intentionally flipping through his journal, recalling God's previous provisions in the midst of his current crisis. And this is essential. And it's hard. But if you're going to have hope, you have to do it. You must look back and look at what God has provided in your life. And that's what Habakkuk does here. If you look at your text, look at verses 3 through 15. We won't look at every verse. Look at a sampling. In verse 8, he says, he remembers God's plague on the Nile and helping part the Red Sea, right? He says this, hey, were you angry with the rivers, O Lord, when you like turned it to blood? I remember that. Do you guys remember that? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? Do you remember when he parted the ocean, when you rode with your horses in your victorious chariots? He's like, you remember this stuff? You guys remember when God came through? He says in verse 11, sun and moon stood still. In the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. He's probably talking about the victory they had at Gibeon, where God actually made the sun stand still so that the Israelites could win their battle. And this is literally what Habakkuk is doing is this. He's like, in the midst of all this, let me just look back. Let me look back on the record of God's faithfulness in my life. Let me look at the stone altar, the markers, where he showed up big time. He's remembering God's past provision. What do you do when you're in the dip? To get ahead? You look back counterintuitive. I realize I may actually be in the dip right now, but I remember who you are and what you've done and that you can be faithful. You may be in the dip right now. It may be in a relationship. It may be financially. I don't know what it is for you, but what do you remember? Where has God come through for you? What do you do when you're in the dip? If your marriage is in the dip, 
you actually remember, oh my goodness, I'm not feeling anything right now. There's no, we're not throwing off sparks. We're just throwing punches, body blows, man. But I remember that day when she, it was like she was God's very gift to me. And I believe that the God who actually resurrected his own son from the dead has the power to resurrect a dead marriage. I believe. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. If your kids are in the dip, you remember the day they were born, they were God's gift to you, and they're making bad choices right now, but, but God, could you actually be, make them mature and complete? They're actually your kids first. They're just on loan to us. See it through, Lord God, because I can't do it anymore. I believe you will do this. If you're waiting, you're waiting for a spouse, you're waiting for a partner, you're waiting for a new staff member, whatever that is, you remember. You remember that the God who began this work is faithful to see it through to its day of completion in Christ Jesus. I believe. I look back and I remember. That's what Habakkuk's doing. He remembers the destruction of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. Look at verse 15. He says, you trampled, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great water. He says, that's a sign. And I know you'll do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do this again. That's the chorus of his song of his prayer. What do you do while you're waiting to get out of the dip? First thing is you remember God's past provision. You fight spiritual amnesia. And this is counterintuitive, but the only way forward is by first looking back. And this does not mean you roll over and play dead, okay? Let me think, let me think of it this way, this way. The second thing Habakkuk sh shows us here is that you have to accept your current position. I don't mean roll over and play dead. I'm in the dip, but I wish I was back there. It's important to acknowledge if you are actually in a dip. Call it out for what it is. You know what? Don't deny reality. Actually define it. And this is, you know what? Some of you, this has like been a, an incredible moment for you to acknowledge in your faith. Like, you know what? I actually... I, I, this has put a name to where I have been, I think, for the last year and a half. Tim, I, I, that's me. To actually say that, it's important. Because a lot of Christians, quite honestly, avoid reality. They are what Craig Rochelle calls hits Christians. H-I-T-S, as in head in the sand. In other words, too many Christians <laughs> go around in life like this. Their head is in the sand because they think that's what faith is. So when the doctor says, hey, you know what? Your health's actually not very good. I think you need to make some changes. Instead of facing the truth, they actually just put their head in the sand. No, 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 God's going to heal you. When their marriage is in trouble, and so their spouse says, hey, I think we actually need some counseling. They'll say, no, 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 God will, God will you know, he'll work this out, whatever. They put their head in the sand. Sometimes when finances are bad, but it, we, you know, we say, but I want the house, I want the house, I claim the house in faith. So you buy the house, you put your head in the sand. And when the storm is coming, oh, there's a lot of Christians who don't prepare. They don't face the truth. They just put their head in the sand. Maybe God's saying through Habakkuk to you, you know what, you need to pull your head out because I don't want you to have the faith of an ostrich. This is a moment to define reality, not deny it. Habakkuk knew this was going to leave a mark. He knew what God was promising to do. He's like, when the Babylonians come, they're going to, they're going to wipe us out and it will not be pretty. In fact, I may not even survive this. But you know what he does? Habakkuk looks straight in the eye in reality. And in verse 16 he says this, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs did what? They trembled. Where does this happen? Where does your heart pound? Where does your lips quiver? And where does your legs tremble? That's what happens where? At the top of a roller coaster. Why? It's scary. It's frightening. Let's just be honest. It's out of our control. And this intimidates us. But don't miss the emotion here. Because Habakkuk's like, I don't like what we're about to go into and I would find a way out if it was up to me. It's scary. But I believe God has an appointed time and he's in control. And I need to do something 
revolutionary. I need to accept where he has me at this moment. Not denial, but acceptance, believing he's in this dip with me. Do you accept where you are in what hand God has dealt you? It was very difficult for my entire family to accept the news of my dad's lymphoma being incurable. That was very hard. In fact, at first, we rejected it. We got second, third, fourth, fifth opinions on it because no one wants to hear they've got incurable cancer. So we prayed big time. We had prayer meetings. We prayed for my dad's complete recovery. God, heal my father. Take this away. Just like touch his body. Remove the tumor with great sincerity of faith because we believe God could do it. But he didn't. And he hasn't. And on the flip side of that, we've been forced to do two things. We actually have accepted my dad's current condition, which is about remission, not just recovery. And we're trusting that God is in this. He is in it. He's not on the other side of it. He's in it with us. And he'll be with us every step of the way. In fact, my dad has now been in remission over nine years. I actually think he's back there. Can we thank my father for all of his faithfulness to God? Love you, man. His oncologist says that now he is as likely to be uh, killed by a bus as he is by cancer, which um, is, is good news, I guess, unless you use mass transit. That's kind of a strange, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's like, good news. I want you to understand what I'm actually saying here. God can work a miracle, and he still may. But you know what? Even if not, we will trust and serve him anyway. Even if not. Those are three very short words, but they are powerful words. And they come from the book of Daniel. You may remember the story of three young kids, actually, who are actually faced a fire and defied a king. You remember this? They were actually holdovers from God's people when they were conquered by Babylon. That's where they ended up. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's a very dark time in Israel's history. Most of the Old Testament is very dark. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, said, king said, you know what, you worship me or I'm going to turn the heat up literally. Because he had a furnace that actually melted iron. And he said, renounce your faith, bow down to me, or you are done. You are well done. But those three kids actually stood their ground. They said, we will not actually go back. We actually will not give up. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the furnace. But scripture says something very strange happened. When people looked into the furnace, into the fire, they didn't see three men. They saw a fourth man in the fire. And he looked like a son of the gods. And he literally saves their hides and they emerge from the furnace without a singe or a scratch on them. And Nebuchadnezzar and his crew, they don't know what to do. They just simply say, we know of no God who saves his people this way by walking into the fire with them. And that's a powerful truth. And it's what makes Christianity unique among world religions. At the center of it is we have a God who's chosen to suffer himself in order to save his people. But in this story, there's one verse that I love. It's in my top five verses for its sheer defiance, its guts. See, before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the furnace, they're given one last chance to give up their faith. And standing on the edge of the oven with this heat blasting up at them, they say this, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from... You're a hand, okay? 
But even if he does not, we want you to know something. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Even if not, I am with them all the way because they'll go into it with me. This is what I call a chapter three kind of faith. And even if not kind of faith that says, you know what, I'd rather be in the furnace with Christ than on a mountaintop without him. Chapter three. Even if not, I'll trust him anyway. And folks, this is defiant worship in the face of adversity. It's saying if God's will means I must go through this, if I have to treat, meet, drink the cup, I'm going to trust he's going to meet me there. And I will not bend and I will not budge. Because even if not, not my will, but what? His be done. Acceptance is not denial of your circumstances, but defiance of them. It is actually saying God can protect our bodies from the flames, but even if not, he will save our souls because that's what he did with Jesus and he'll walk me through this. In World War II, those three words, even if not, became a rallying cry for Britain. Some of you history buffs may know this. At a turning point in the war, Britain had suffered its worst defeat at the hands of Nazi Germany. The British actually army had been driven out of France. And the nation was just reeling at that point. It was a hinge moment actually in World War II where literally like global freedom hung in the balance. In Winston Churchill, the British prime minister went on the radio to give a speech to the British people. And they held their breath like as he spoke. They were like, is he going to like cut a deal with the Nazis? Is he going to compromise? Will he admit defeat? And Churchill, who was a burly guy with a brilliant mind, he was well-schooled in scripture, he said this, we shall defend our island Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on beaches, landing grounds, and fields, and streets, and on the hills, and we shall never surrender. He gave this like defiant, stirring rebuke of evil in the darkest hour, but then he said this, this is what, but even if not, we will carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, sets forth to the liberation and rescue of the old, even if not. Do you know where he got those words? Today, people don't know the Bible, but everybody in Britain knew. Because those three words became a rallying cry across Britain. Even if not, soldiers actually wrote it on their helmets. Even if not, as they headed into battle. People hung them on bedsheets in front of their homes. Even if not, children wrote it on their school books. Even if not, we won't bow, we won't bend, because in this life or the next, our God will prevail. Friends, dark times call for defiance, not denial. And even if not, kind of faith in God's goodness, believing that when all seems hopeless or lost, ultimately, victory awaits. Because God's way of his economy is bringing good out of evil. You notice how Churchill said, even if not, we'll carry on the struggle until in what? God's good time. I believe God will deliver me. But even if I don't need to see it myself, I trust in God's timing. He will. This is Habakkuk's conclusion in verse 16. He says this, he says, Yet I will what? I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. What are you having a hard time accepting right now? Because there's a lot out there. My dad's illness is hard to accept. Maybe your relationship status is hard to accept. Maybe you've received news recently that is hard to accept. I accept my current position because I trust God is the fourth man in. 
and he will judge evil, and he will use this for his glory in his timing. Can you say that? That you have an even-if-not kind of faith? A chapter 3 Habakkuk kind of faith? Because that's where God's taking you. That's actually how Habakkuk ends with what most scholars consider one of the most stirring affirmations of faith in the entirety of Scripture. He says defiantly, look in your text, look at verse 17, he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, in other words, though I have no visible reason to rejoice whatsoever, this is not just a dip. This is a downturn of epic proportions. Yet what? Yet I will, what's the word? Let's say it together. Rejoice in God. I will be joyful in God my Savior. When he has no reason whatsoever physically or visibly to rejoice, he says this, even though the fig tree doesn't bud, I will trust God my Savior. Even though there are no sheep in the pen, I will trust God my Savior. Even though my spouse said, I do, but he's not doing what he said, I will trust God, my Savior. <laughs> Even though my kids are going off the rails, making choices, I'll trust God, my Savior. Even though we, we need to sell our house and it's on the market and it won't sell and we're on the hook, I will trust God, my Savior. He will get me there. He will enable me to go on the heights. Look at the last verse. Even though I don't like it even though I don't understand it, even though I know he could and he should, even if not, I will trust God my Savior. I pray every single one of you, God will take you to the place where you have an even if not kind of intimacy with him. But understand something, here's the deal. You can't have a chapter three kind of faith without a chapter one kind of question. And you can't have that without a chapter two kind of waiting. Because the truth is God can do more spiritually in the dip than he does on the mountaintops. And those who are actually closest to him, they've been through this. Somebody said to me after a service uh, last week, they said, um, Tim, this is awesome. I can't wait to get here so I don't ever have to go back here. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I just ripped off the sheet and gave it to him. Yeah, me too. <laughs> because the reality is that's, that's not how it ends. Actually, faith... That was just a that was like Google Maps. It was like here's like a little 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 plot point. You know how actually faith actually looks. Your journey, it's going to look like this. Over and over and over again, as you lean in, and you learn to trust the Lord. Can you worship God that way? Can you sing that way? This is a worship song. It's a shigianoth. Worship is literally just our response to who God is and what he's done. And, and Habakkuk is a shigianoth. It's a worship song. It's a soundtrack to our journey of faith, which actually happens to look very much like a mountain with peaks and valleys. That's how you get out of the dip. You worship your way out. Habakkuk ends with this verse. Look at it. He says, the sovereign Lord, and the word sovereign means he's in control. I don't understand. You can throw this up there. I love this verse, how it ends. The sovereign Lord is my strength. And he wakes my feet like the feet of a deer. And now watch this. He enables me to go where? He enables me to go on the heights. He who is faithful will get me there in Christ Jesus. Even though the fig tree doesn't bud, that's a promise. Only when we do the Habakkuk. You remember what his name means? It means what? To embrace, to wrestle. 
do we worship God for who he is and what he's done in Christ Jesus? So be encouraged. Those of you who are in the dip, those of you who are about to go in, when God is working and Jesus went through it, we know that the cross always precedes the crown and we learn to wait before we actually learn what true worship means. So lean and embrace God and you'll discover he may change your circumstances, but even if not, he will change you. Let's do this. Bow our heads right now. We're just going to take a moment to pray. Um, sometimes at this moment, I just invite people to just kind of put their trust in Jesus for the first time. If that's you, you talk to God, say, Jesus, I need you in your, my life. I need you to save me. Come in. Lord, forgive my sins. Take me to a new level. He can hear you. But today, I want to make an invitation right now to those of you who are already Christians, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, maybe you're a Christian, but you're ready for more, and you want an even-if-not kind of faith. You want the ability to trust God, even if it means you have to carry your cross and be able to say, even if not, in the midst of your current crisis, I don't know what you're going through, but if you are in the midst of a crisis right now, and you say, God, I want an even-if-not kind of faith, would you just shoot your hand up? Just shoot your hand up just so I can see that. Oh my gosh, a ton of hands. Incredible. Keep your heads bowed. Just hands real high. This is God sees your hands. He knows your situation. He knows exactly what it is. I want to pray for you right now. Father, thank you so much for ministering to us through this book. God, my heart right now goes out to every man and woman here in the dip. I pray, Father, would you at this moment just give us the strength to even do what Habakkuk did. Just remembering your goodness and your promises and accepting some of what we've, we've been dealt, but God, never letting go of you. Let us trust and hold on to you in every situation in this room. All the situations online, will you use it for our good, for your glory? Right now, Father, I ask your spirit supernatural in this room to fill each person with the power to persevere this very week. God, we believe you can change every situation like this. We ask you to, and we, Lord, we hope you will. We ask you to in faith. But God, know this, even if not, lift us, Father. Lift us to worship Jesus who goes before us. Whether the barn is full or empty, help us to trust Christ because he's our Savior, he's our Habakkuk, and we know he is on the throne. Use this dip, God, to shape and stretch our soul. Give us a defiant faith. It says, even if things don't go as planned, we will worship you anyway, even if not. We ask everything in the good, good name of your son, Jesus. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. Love you guys. Thanks for being here.